All right. Hi, everybody. It's our CFB Talk 150, and we're going to have ourselves a special guest this afternoon. We're going to be talking with Phil Steele, producer of Phil Steele's College Football Magazine. It's one of our favorites. Let's see here. We're going to go ahead and fire this up. I'm going to go ahead. We're waiting for Phil to join us, which he will do shortly, and we'll let him up here. So as we go ahead and get this started, I'm happy to say we're actually going to have a uh, discount for those of you listening. If you're interested in getting $5 off, the uh, 2023 Phil Steele College Preview Magazine. You can just go to philsteele.com slash reddit and get yourselves $5 off. Probably, I know, our favorite preview magazine. It's been our favorite preview magazine since, well, before college football Reddit actually existed. But I just wanted to say we're looking forward to having a, a good chat with Phil once we get him on here. It's really funny. This is our 150th show, just by chance. And Phil was the guest on the 50th show. So, again, that was kind of a fun coincidence. I know he doesn't need much of an introduction. Most of you know who he is. The volume, the latest volume, volume 29 of his preview magazine is out in stores now. And it continues to provide the most accurate preseason magazine year after year. Okay, I see Phil is in the audience. I'm going to go ahead and send him a request to join right now. We'll get him up here. How are you doing? I am doing well. How about you guys today? Oh, it's great. You know, as kind of just an opening question I've been wanting to ask you, has the Pac-12 contacted you for a broadcast deal yet? <laughs> you, would, you would think so, and we could probably stream it. And, uh, but, yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing how long that thing has dragged on and then uh, exactly what they're coming up with. And uh, it, it'd be nice if the Pac-12 was actually on linear TV, but uh, we'll have to see what, what shakes out here. Yeah, you know, before we kind of get into some of the weeds, I, do you actually, are you a person who regularly uses Apple TV at all, or have you ever used it before? I honestly have not used Apple TV. I've got 12 TVs in front of me for the uh, the games on Saturday, and they're all set up with direct TV. And then I have my computer next to me to the right where I, where I will stream a game if, uh, you know, maybe on ESPN+. Plus. But the majority of it is linear TV for me. Yeah, I think that you you are a great example of why that is a problem, not being able to get on linear TV for the Pac-12. And we'll see how that pans out. But, um, you know, I want, we'll circle back to kind of the, the sort of conference uh, realignment stuff in a second. But obviously, you know, a lot of things are going on. Um, but I wanted to first take a look more at the short-term questions sort of pertinent to the immediately upcoming season. Um, and, and one thing I wondered, when you kind of compile the preview, which is, again, the preview mag is just, it's glorious. I've been reading it since the, since the aughts. But uh, do you ever feel, are you concerned that sometimes you'll release it into the wild just ahead of a major twist? Like, for example, what happened recently with the Northwestern coaching change? Yeah, I've been doing this, this is a 29th year, and um, I, there's been very few things that have been jarring. I think last year, uh, one of the bigger things was uh, UAB, Bill Clark stepping down. I think that had a big effect with UAB last season. Uh, but the uh, fortunately for me, the Northwestern uh, situation, I had them picked low in the Big Ten anyway. So that's not really going to affect it. But um, it's been very few. And, and give an example. Uh, this year, uh, we used to go to the press in May and then put it out early June, it would hit the newsstands. Uh, this year, we went to the press June 7th, which was later than everybody else. In fact, there were actually magazines on the market at that time. But what I did is I waited for the transfer portal to close on May 15th, and then gave it three full weeks. And we were actually able to capture about 95% of the transfer portal changes. There have been very few additions from the transfer portal since we went to the press. The only major one has been the uh, the only thing was uh, the head coach, Pat Fitzgerald, 
being gone from Northwestern, but uh, we actually put out a digital version of the magazine as well. And in the digital version, it actually lists the Northwestern head coaches, David Braun with his record and everything. Absolutely. You know, and when you, you kind of mentioned this, but I know you start writing these very, as soon as the regular season is wrapping up, I think it's like Thanksgiving weekend. I remember you mentioned last time, how, how often, I mean, how many articles do you estimate you read in a given day when preparing that first draft? <laughs> uh, it's a huge stack. It's probably um, anywhere from, if it's a, a smaller team like Troy, it might be 75 pages of eight and a half by 11. So it might be two articles per page. And then if it's Ohio State or Alabama, you're talking a thousand pages. But you can't skim some of that. Uh, you know, I've, I've watched the games. I live the games. And when it's going through the recap of the games, you can skim it a little bit. And then some of the stories, you know, is this guy going to win the Heisman? Is that guy going to win the Heisman? You can just flip right through that because you know who ended up winning the Heisman this year. No need to win it, uh, read it. But, yeah, it generally takes me about um, – five to six hours to read through all the stories that were written about the team for the year. But I tell you what, it puts you in a real good shape as far as you go through the ebbs and flows of every single position. Oh, that's right. They lost those two wide receivers in week six and they didn't come back till week nine. And you saw the offensive dip and it really allows you to get into all those factors. You know, one thing that I wanted to mention, and I know a lot of fans on RCFB have been thrilled to see that the FCS edition is returning this year. What led to that? Well, there's more and more FBS versus FCS games every year. And for my power ratings, uh, we actually have to know what type of team you're playing to adjust the power ratings or the expectations uh, for the teams. So we have been going back and doing the FCS teams and the uh, the ratings for the last, uh, well, forever, we've been doing the ratings. But as far as the actual write-ups go, we started dipping our toes in the water again maybe uh, two years ago. Last year we did it again. And then this year I figured, what the heck, let's go full-blown. And unlike past years when we had the FCS magazine, we only released, uh, it was basically one page per team uh, for the FCS but now this year, it's two full pages for per team. And the one big addition is I've been tracking lines on FCS football. There's been uh, websites uh, that have actually posted lines on FCS football the last five years. Uh, and we track them all week long, get the latest line on the game. So we actually have spreads on the last five years lines for the FCS, uh, spread records for the last five years. Complete right up on the left, just like you would for the magazine. Schedules in there, stats are in there. So uh, we have all the information compiled now, and I'm pretty excited. It's two full pages on every FCS team, and you become an instant expert on FCS football. You know, it's interesting because I know you you do so much work with the FBS in terms of interviewing head coaches. I think you you interview usually most of them every year um, for at least an hour or so. How what went into kind of compiling a lot of this data for this FCS edition? Yeah, and haven't got quite to that point yet. There's been a couple FCS coaches I've talked to, um, but uh, for the FBS, I talked to 123 of the 133 head coaches. Uh, this year, I'll probably talk to three or four of the FCS, so not quite the same in-depth. And plus, for the FBS coaches' interviews, what I do is I send them over my team pages, which have every t player on the team listed, all their stats, all my individual notes. Then we go over every player on the team, which is why the calls take about an hour. 
For the FCS, I do not have the individual team pages to send to the coaches to go over every player. So what we do is we look, we get the roster, check last year's stats, and and do it like most other magazines would do it. You know, as far as the uh, the write up for it goes. So it's probably not quite as in depth because we're not talking to the head coach, but it's still a very in depth process uh, going through the write ups. Um, absolutely, it shows. I was able to. I got the digital copy myself, and you could see the effort that goes into it. Um, you know, with all this work that goes into preparing the magazine, with all these interviews, reviewing all the conferences, talking to all these coaches, do you start to see themes forming from season to season? And I guess by extension, is there anything about the 2023 season that you sensed um, as far as thematic or, or, or whatever um, heading into the season? You know, I'm glad you picked up on that. Um, I would say, it was probably the uh, maybe the fifth or sixth coach I talked to out of the 123 this year. And we'd be going through the roster and we get to a, an FCS player, an FC, a player that transferred from the FCS last year. And I'm, I'm like, oh, another FCS player started last year. Oh, another FCS player started. And, oh, this FCS player came in and started. So then I started noticing that every time I went through it uh, with the coaches and uh, you know, by the middle of it, it was something where I would actually throw it out at the coaches. It's like, hey, coach, I'm going to throw you out my philosophy right now, which is the FCS players that come in, as long as they have experience, they're probably better than a power five transfer that hasn't played because they've played. Secondly, they come in with a chip on their shoulder. They're grateful for being there. And what I've seen is 85 to 90 percent of them have uh, produced. And a lot of the coaches I talked to said they agreed and they're actually very happy with dipping down to the FCS. And it is actually more beneficial sometimes than getting that power disgruntled power five transfer coming into your program. So that was probably the main thing I learned this year was that um, FCS division two transfers can come in and start right away. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's to an extent, some of the fear we sometimes hear from not only uh, FCS, but also G5 fans that they're turning into kind of a minor league for the very top. Um, yes, a cu couple of coaches, uh, a group of five coaches said, uh, well, one of them in particular said every single one of his 22 starters had been approached uh, during the offseason to, to try to get them moved up but he was very happy that he held on to i think 21 of the 22 absolutely you know it makes him it makes him have to to work for it you know exactly you know when you write out your previews what typically would you what typically is the most difficult thing to project for an upcoming season uh right now it would probably be how the transfers are going to fit in i remember there's one team last year that uh, brought in eight power five transfers and only one of them played and then you get a team like um you know usc which of course took some top-notch transfers that had played and, and showed remarkable improvements. So how will the transfers fit into the situation, especially uh, like at Colorado this year, for example? Uh, I, I think if you go through Colorado position by position, there's no doubt they've upgraded the talent level at every single position over last year. But I watched the spring game. And after the spring game, it was like five of the stars from the spring game bolted out of there. And most of these transfers coming in weren't even on the team in the spring. And now they're coming in now. How quickly can you put a team together in 30 days of fall camp? How quickly will they gel as a unit, as a team? That's probably my biggest question mark heading into the year would be that. Or, or even a team like uh, Texas State, which brought in a, a very explosive offense from G.J. Kinney. They had an incarnate word. It worked great in the first year at Incarnate Word. Will it have that same type of success here at Texas State in the first year? 
those are probably the the biggest uh, question marks I have. You know, just since we mentioned him, I want to just specifically ask: How do you see the impact of Coach Deion Sanders on Colorado heading into the season? I think, personally, I, I don't think you can put a team together in thirty days and have them compete, especially when you, you look at the Pac-12. The Pac-12 is one of the more underrated conferences out there. I know we started off the interview talking about their TV deal, but the TV deal doesn't have anything to do with the talent they have. You know, you're looking at uh, six really powerful teams in USC, Oregon, uh, Utah, UCLA, Oregon State, uh, and uh, uh, Washington. And they've played the majority of those teams this year. They have t- at TCU, they play Nebraska at home. So it's really a, a tough schedule. In fact, they're going to be an underdog, I feel, in as many as nine games this year. And I would be surprised if they went over the Vegas over-under total of three and a half just because of the the other teams have been acclimated. They have their coaches and uh, are probably better prepared for the season. But in the, in the long term, I think he's going to do great there. I mean, look at the talent he's been bringing in. Yeah, and when you do kind of interviews and gather information what is your kind of sure telltale sign of a team is on the up and coming? And is there similarly a distinct tell if a team appears to be on the decline? Um, you know, it, it, it varies from team to team from year to year. Uh, I think the majority of it is that just the talent, you know, you go through the, each position with each coach and you could tell where, where there are concerns, you know, well, I'm really concerned about our offensive line this year, Phil. You know, it takes South Alabama, for example. Uh, Kane Womack's first year there at South Alabama, we went over his offensive line, and he just flat out told me, Phil, I'm, I'm concerned. If we come up with five starters on the offensive line, this thing's a mess. It's my biggest concern on the team. I'm, I'm very concerned. This year, it's his third year as the head coach at uh, South Alabama. He's doing a remarkable job. In fact, this year he told me, hey, the offensive line has gone from a weakness to a strength, and it has. I've seen the progression of the roster and where it's gotten to. So I think just listening on each position and uh, seeing how the coach feels about it and uh, and getting the honest thing. You know, you don't want to have a coach that speaks greatly of everything. You don't want to have a coach that downplays everything. Most of the coaches tell me exactly like it is. That makes sense. You know, pulling more towards what's going on now, just what are your general thoughts on what's going on with the Pac-12 this week? Well... I'll be honest with you, this whole uh, conference thing uh, is one thing I have not been an expert on. If you would ask me four years ago, Phil, does USC and UCLA have a chance of going to the Big Ten? I would have laughed. Does Texas and Oklahoma have a chance of going to the SEC? I would have said probably not. Uh, And when the Big 12 lost Texas and Oklahoma, I'm raising my hand. I was one of those people that said the Big 12's toast. Pac-12 is going to absorb them. The Big Ten is going to absorb them. The SEC is going to take them. What's going to be left? Uh, Kansas, which, you know, is a horrible football team at that time. Uh, and now look at the Big 12. They're in much better shape. And even a Kansas is a much improved team and, and one that's catching it. So uh, it looks like the Pac-12 right now is on very, very shaky ground. But I would have put the Big 12 on life support a few years ago. You know, we, I opened by asking you kind of jokingly if the Pac-12 had, had contacted you for a broadcast deal. I guess conversely, I was sort of asked if the Big 12 reached out to you about membership. So on, on that <laughs> note, I mean, how do you think uh, Big 12 Commissioner Brett Yormark has done so far? I think he's done a great job. I'm looking at the four teams that they brought in. Uh, BYU, great pickup. BYU is a national brand, uh, has done great uh, on the field and has a great fan following Cincinnati 
uh, Houston and UCF were the top three teams in the American Conference. The American Conference has been the best group of five. Um, Coach Malzahn's been building for this move to the Big 12. I think those are three really good programs to bring in. So the four teams he brought in, great. I think when you look at the overall conference, I mean, getting a team like Kansas out of the basement and into the middle of the pack, it's been a highly competitive conference the last couple of years. And it's not like it's been dominated by Texas and Oklahoma. Last year, the championship game was TCU and Kansas State. Prior to that, it was Baylor and Oklahoma State. Texas and Oklahoma haven't even been playing for the championship games. So I think uh, he's doing a great job with the Big 12 and really taking a team that was on life support or a conference that was on life support, making it a very viable option. You know, one team, uh, one fan base we typically hear from when we've been doing our Tuesday night open call-in shows is Oklahoma. And obviously that first season under Venables didn't exactly go as their fans would have liked, but you have them as the number two most improved team in the country with the projected spot in the conference title game. What led you there? Yeah, you know, when I went over the team with Coach Venables, going over the defense for starters, you know, I, I mentioned, uh, and it didn't make him very happy, uh, you know, 461 yards per game last year, 30 points per game. I've never seen a Brett Venables defense anywhere near that. And part of the problem was, I think, uh, he had a, a somewhat complex defense, brought it into Oklahoma last year. It was a learning year defensively. The offense didn't give him a lot of help, especially when Dylan Gabriel went down to injury. And they, they basically their backup quarterback was running the Wildcat offense. Uh, but this year, they're not only more acclimated to his defense, but they brought in a lot of solid transfers. Guys like Rondell Boythroyd, who comes in from Wake Forest. Desai McCullough, who comes in from Indiana. Reggie Pearson from Texas Tech. I think the te the defense not only has the returning talent, understands the defense, but also gets some nice additions. And offensively, as long as they keep Dylan Gabriel healthy, they'll be in better shape if he gets injured. They bring in a Jackson Arnold, who's one of my top quarterbacks out of high school, a true freshman that uh, really was in for the spring and did well. The offensive line with Bill Bedenbaugh still there as a head coach is solid. And some of their losses last year were by some pretty close margins. You look at the three-point loss to West Virginia, the three-point loss to Texas Tech. I thought they played great in the bowl game against Florida State. It was an undermanned Oklahoma. Florida State was a big favorite, and yet they almost won that game. Florida State needed a late score to win it. Now, when you look at the, the talent they have on the field this year, it's strong. And then you look at their schedule. Uh, they did get to avoid a couple of the key teams in uh, Big 12 play. They don't have to play Kansas State. They don't have to play Baylor. And if you go to Vegas right now and take a look at the odds on their games, they're actually favored in 11 of their 12 games this year. The only game they're not favored is against Texas in Dallas. So I do think we're going to see a much better team in year two for Brett Venables. And, you know, talking to the coaches through the years, almost every second-year head coach tells me the same exact thing. Phil, we're in so much better shape than we were last year. We know the players inside and out. The players know our systems. Everybody knows the culture. And uh, he's going to be your typical second-year head coach coach this year I feel and Brett Venables will get that defense turned around you know speaking of teams that you've been bullish on heading into this year you've also put Texas A&M as your number one most improved team and as one of the top surprise teams this year what do you see different for them heading into this season after last year well, last year they were a very inexperienced team. They were actually number 124 in my experience chart, one of the least 10 least experienced teams in the country. And, and when I went over the team with Coach Fisher last year, going over the positions, it seemed like the majority of the positions were I'd ask him for, okay, how do you feel about the offensive line, Coach? And he said, Phil, we're going to have one of the best offensive lines in college football. 
next year. And it's, it was a it's very common phrase at the end of the, a lot of the positions. Well, this year, they're number 14 on my experience chart, a massive job, uh, jump, I should say. If you go to philsteel.com, I put out a daily blog. One of my blogs up there right now, which is a really good read, is uh, the experience chart. When you make a massive jump like that, what happens record-wise? I recommend to the listeners they check that out right now at philsteel.com daily blogs. But uh, this is a vastly more experienced team, 10 starters back on offense, 10 on defense. They lost their star wide receiver, Anaya Smith, in week four last year. They went through three different starting quarterbacks due to injury. Connor Wegman, as a freshman, really came on at the end of the year. The offensive line was banged up. The defense was banged up. And guess what? Even in their 5-7 and seven season last year, where they had 4.6.3.3.3 point losses, all close, they beat LSU 38-23. to And against Alabama on the road, where Alabama's unbeatable, they're at the two-yard line at the end of the game, throwing in the end zone with a chance to win the game on the final play of the game, down by four points. So even last year, they were playing with the big boys. They've got the talent. You know Jimbo's recruited just as good as Alabama, LSU, and Ohio State have the last five years. So they've got the talent. Now they have the experience. Uh, I think they're a legitimate contender in the SEC West, despite being 5-7 and seven last year. I can imagine you have a lot of sport in Aggieland right now over that. So that's great. <laughs> you know, uh, you, similarly, uh, as I mentioned, they were one of your top surprise teams. But the number one surprise team for you is Wisconsin, despite the coaching change. I mean, obviously it's Luke Fickle, but what sort of shift should we expect and, and what makes you think that they're going to be able to, to surpass expectations? Yeah, and as you know, I write the magazine in a three-write-through process. And uh, I, I'll be quite honest with you, when it was announced that Phil Longo was coming in as the offense coordinator, a guy that runs the air raid, the pass-happy system, I'm like, how the heck is that going to fit with Wisconsin, for crying out loud? The Badgers are a team that dominate in the month of November with that big offensive line and run game. They really don't have the personnel to completely go with the air raid. So very skeptical on Wisconsin right off the bat in the first write-through process. Second write-through process is still about the same. Then the third, after going through the team with Coach Fickle, uh, you know, they, they signed Tanner Mordecai from SMU, a big-time quarterback. He's a guy that um, originally – uh, signed with uh, Oklahoma and then went to SMU last year. Uh, one of my top-rated quarterbacks out of high school. I think he's going to have a big year. But when I talked to Coach Fickle. I, I voiced my concerns, and he said, Phil, we're not going to abandon the run game. In fact, he felt that the reason Wisconsin had uh, struggled a little bit on the run game. In fact, they have an average five yards per carry, believe it or not, over the last three years, which surprised me when I when I went back and researched that. But he felt that that was because teams could stack eight, nine players in the box against them, knowing what was coming. Now they wouldn't be able to do that. And he felt that would open up holes for Braylon Allen and Chesma Lucy and that they'll get back above that five yards per carry. I'm so assured now that they weren't just going to a full-blown pass offense and abandoning the run. I like the offensive line. I like the running backs, and the run game will be improved. I talked about the experience chart. Last year, they were number 107 on my experience chart. This year, they're number 20. Uh, Give you an example. Defense last year, they had three starters back. This year, they have eight. They're going to have a top-notch defense. And then what I really like about them is the schedule. You look at their five road games, Washington State, Purdue, Illinois, Indiana, Minnesota, all of those are in the winnable category. Their toughest two opponents are Iowa at home and Ohio State at home. And getting them at home is huge. Getting Ohio State at home is the week after Ohio State plays Penn State in a massive battle. So the schedule sets up for 11 or 12 wins this year. Uh, If you're looking for this year's TCU or a team no one's expecting to make the playoff, 
Wisconsin's my pick this wow. year. Wow. I mean, I guess after TCU with a first year, you know, head coach, at least, I mean, obviously a veteran head coach, anything's possible now. So I, I don't think that's as outlandish as it would have seemed two years ago uh, <laughs> to say something like that. Um, Absolutely. You know, I've always enjoyed reading your, your various rankings and analysis and how they weave together to create your predictions. And I'd say probably my most favorite is your ranking of toughest schedules. From that, I mean, which teams do you think are going to really benefit the most from scheduling this season? I, I tend to always look towards the G5. Like, I know Air Force, Toledo, and, and Liberty seem to have, you know, really favorable schedules as they kind of search to be that New Year Six team. But how, what are the ones that have got your attention the most? Uh, you know, one team that uh, jumps out at me is a main competitor of Wisconsin, and that would be Iowa. As you recall, last year, Iowa had to face both Ohio State and uh, Michigan. This year, Ohio State and Michigan are not on the schedule. So it's a, an easier schedule for Iowa. They, they take a jump of 43 spots uh, in my rankings. Another one would be Oregon. Remember, Oregon opened up last year with Georgia. They don't have any such uh, foe this year, and I think they're in a, a lot better shape uh, heading into the season. And then, <coughs> excuse me, um, another one that pops out at me is Oklahoma State. And, you know, when you look at Oklahoma State, you wonder what kind of advantage they have over the Big 12 commissioner because their schedule is really, really, really nice. In fact, Oklahoma State actually plays six teams that were not Power 5 teams last year. Uh, they avoid TCU, they avoid Baylor, they avoid Texas. And uh, I've only got them three games in underdog this year, and all slight underdogs at Iowa State, home to Oklahoma, and at UCF. They really got a, a great schedule this year. So uh, those would be three teams to really watch. That makes sense. And, you know, kind of as we slowly start wrapping this up, what common themes stand out to you about teams that tend to take meaningful steps forward heading into this season? Yeah, the, the softer schedule, the the fact that last year, one thing I really like, and and uh, we've got a, a blog also up there on, on philsteel.com about the conference yards per game. Uh, give an example, uh, Michigan State a couple years ago had that great year where they were uh, 10 and or 11 and 2 at the end of the year. But that season, they were actually outgained by 70 yards per game in Big Ten play. They were very fake. They were not an 11-2 and two team. And then we saw last year, they came back to where they were. And then other times, you take a team like an Iowa State, who last year outgained their opponents by 50 yards per game, but seemed to lose every single game on the last play of the game or uh, a three-point loss during the season and finished just 4-8, and eight, but actually outgained foes by 52 yards per game in Big 12 play. They're under the radar, and they have a more experienced team this year. Hopefully Hunter Deckers is going to be able to play. That news came out today. Uh, but uh, if he is able to play, I think Iowa State will have a much improved team. So the experience level, as I talked about, the experience chart, uh, close wins, close losses from the previous year, and then uh, sometimes it's second year, third year head coaches also make big time strides. Phil, I enjoy talking to you so much. I know I could fill an hour or two with this, but I want to respect your time and slowly wrap this up. So really kind of uh, more of a, a positive spin here. What brings you joy in college football as we head into 2023? Well, I it's all I study all year long is college football. So, uh, you know, 365 days of the year. I don't know any other sport. Don't follow any other sport. It's always a lot more fun when the games are being played. They're about to be played, so 
that of course gets me very excited. But uh, I always enjoy talking to the coaches during the off season. Uh, the respect factor, being able to talk to them for the amount of time that I do, uh, that's probably one of the things that really really gives me a lot of uh, uh, comfort and joy during the off season. Dur- during all those long work weeks, uh, it, it makes you happy when you get off the phone, and especially if they compliment, compliment the work that I'm doing. Absolutely. I imagine. And I can, you know, a lot of us who read as fans or as media or even as coaches really do appreciate all the work that goes in year after year. And uh, I don't want to say decade after decade because that sounds scary, <laughs> but uh, but it, it, it's, we're almost getting there. It's going to be decade number three <laughs> um, and, yeah. and not even counting power sweep. So it's been longer than that. But um, thank you so much, Phil. It was great to have you on. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I always enjoy our conversations. A lot of fun talking football. Absolutely. And for those of you listening, if you missed the beginning, this is going to automatically turn into a recording, and then we'll turn it into a podcast version that you can access at RCFB Talk, wherever you get your podcasts. And just a quick reminder that the folks at philsteel.com have been kind enough to offer a discount. There's a link, and I've put it in the reply, and I'll probably remove it after a little bit, but you can get $5 off the 2023 Phil Steele College Preview Magazine going by going to philsteel.com slash reddit. Well, that's all we have for this afternoon. I just wanted to thank all of you for joining us. I wanted to thank Phil Steele. My name is Bob Ekhairi. This was RCFB Talk 150. Now I'm going to hang up and listen. <laughs>